And welcome back, everybody. Episode 12 of the Announcer Schedule Podcast. We are ready to go. I'm your host, Mike Gill, Phil DeMont-Mollen. You know him from the at Announcer Schedules handle on Twitter. We bring you all of the announcer news in all the sports from around the globe and all the different things that are happening in the NFL, college football, Major League Baseball, the NBA. We've got a ton of stories this week, Phil, that we want to get into, but we start uh, with the passing of a broadcasting legend, and that happened uh, just uh, on a day that we're recording, on Wednesday, and that is the passing of Len Dawson, uh, one of the great broadcasters, and uh, man, uh, it seems like he was everywhere in his broadcasting days. Of course, also a great player as well. He's one of the few that has made the jump from great player to great broadcaster as well, the great Len Dawson. Yeah, in fact, he has been elected to the Pro Football Hall of Fame as both a player and a broadcaster. And you know, I'm sure that's some elite company there who's earned a spot in the Hall of Fame both uh, on the microphone and also on the gridiron. Dawson, of course, just an, a tremendous all-time great at quarterback, um, you know, Super Bowl victory in the early days. And grand total, he worked for the Chiefs for 47 years, 14 years as a quarterback, 33 as a broadcaster. So he was an analyst on their radio broadcast for years. And, you know, his career really took off after a couple seasons with the Steelers and Browns, but then he – there was a um, move where he suddenly wound up with the Dallas Texans and his coach was Hank Stram. And we actually were able to dig up a photo that we tweeted out today that uh, Dawson and Stram later got to spend a little time together as broadcasters. Uh, Stram actually working for CBS radio and Dawson for NBC. And there's a cool photo of the two of them in their broadcasting garb ready uh, for a game in the early eighties. But Dawson, you know, he had this knack for broadcasting as well, seems like from the very beginning. He started his broadcasting career as a player in the 60s and became sports director for a local TV station in Kansas City, uh, 1966. And he would leave practice and head over to the TV station and do the, the sports report for for the local television station, kind of wild, KMBC. And then, of course, um, following his retirement as a player, um, you know, we mentioned the Chiefs radio analyst role. Uh, he was an analyst for NBC uh, for several years as well. But probably he's best known as the longtime host of HBO's Inside the NFL. And I don't know about you, Mike, but I mean, this show has helped shape me as a sports fan, no doubt about it. And in Dawson, and especially those years with Nick Bonacani, um, Dawson was there from basically the very beginning. The show started in 1977. It's cable TV's longest running TV series. And Dawson started one year after the, the debut of the show in 1978. So just a, a fascinating career, both as a quarterback and as a broadcaster, and uh, certainly want to, you know, 
give our proper respects to to the great Lynn Dawson. Yeah, and we'll uh, cue up the uh, entry from that from another great Hall of Fame broadcasting voice, by the way, Harry Callis, who passed the former Phillies broadcaster, NFL Films. Uh, this takes you back to when he was the voice and narrator for the uh, Inside the NFL HBO. Take a listen. Harry Callis is the voice you'll hear introducing Lenny the Cool, as he was known. And now, Inside the NFL, pro football's most informative hour with your hosts, Len Dawson, Nick Bonacani, and Chris Collinsworth. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the longest-running show in the history of cable television. Two reasons for that longevity. Sit beside me, Chris Collinsworth to my right, Nick Bonacani to my left. And gentlemen, I am really excited, getting ready to start the 16th year of HBO's Inside the NFL. And you know, Lenny Dawson there uh, introducing the guys. You know, that's uh, not normal that you see, uh, Phil, that the athlete is also the host, the kind of point man. And you can hear a young Chris Collingsworth in there. But uh, Lenny the Cool, as he was known as the player, was very cool, calm, and collective as the point man on that Inside the NFL show, which is kind of, you know, a little bit before its time in terms of what they do today, breaking down these games with uh, a couple of guys sitting on the – on the desk there uh, talking about the week that was in the NFL. Yeah, no doubt. And I, I would think it kind of dates back to him being that sports director back in the, in the sixties and in really learning how to be a broadcaster in the purest of senses, rather than just a, you know, a analyst who's in there for his expert opinions, but he knows how to maneuver um, on the microphone and um, in front of the camera. Uh, Collinsworth had just joined the show around that time. He he joined in 1989. For for pretty much all the 80s, it was Boynikani and Dawson, uh, just the two of them. And then Collinsworth joined in in 89, first as a reporter and then as a third host. And later, you saw some other personalities, Jimmy Johnson, Jerry Glanville, Dan Marino uh, participate on the show. And then after the 2001 season, Dawson and Boynikani retired uh dawson continued his role with the chiefs as a radio analyst from that point forward yeah uh by the way uh third person to be a hall of fame player and broadcaster uh frank gifford and dan deardorff are the other two uh and as you mentioned he was the color commentator for the chiefs radio from 84 to 2017 and um uh, he worked uh, with Mitch uh, Holtis, I believe, for many of those years, and uh, it was just a great pairing. I mean, you, to have that guy be a part of your organization for 50 years, uh, that was Len Dawson, and uh, what a career. And, and those inside the NFL shows, you know, you mentioned it, uh, you miss that kind of breakdown and where you don't have people just screaming and yelling stuff at you. You have guys giving real insight to the game, and Dawson uh, was kind of an innovator at that. Yeah, they, they did a great job with that show. It was so entertaining, and they, you know, the cinematography of the whole thing was so great, too, because, you know, you'd have those that NFL films footage where they're showing the, you know, the highlights from the past week's game and that kind of thing. And, you know, it was kind of a magnetic show that every time I, I turned on the television and it was on, I, and oftentimes it'd be the second or third time I might be watching it on a given weekend because they would replay the thing. I would just kind of <laughs> settle back in and, and check it out some more. Um, and, you know, you really felt like that homey sort of feel with Dawson and Boynikani, like, hey, these guys, 
um, are, are part of your living room in a lot of ways. That was a groundbreaking show then. This here, Len Dawson, uh, with a call here, will give you a little um, sample of his uh, call. Uh, here's Len Dawson. On the opposition. Second and 16. Into the end zone. Overthrowing everybody. Look at that. Oh, look out. Oh, That's Len Swan. Stepping over the trunk of a car. Being helped up by Ron Bolton. And Len is all right. Oh, wow. I know you talk about able to leap tall buildings. But he leaped over an automobile right here. And he takes a pretty good spill right now coming down off that automobile. Mm. Wow. There you hear a little bit of uh, him breaking down a play. Lynn Swan, there was an automobile for whatever reason parked uh, just beyond the end zone. And he leaps up over it and uh, the disbelief in his voice. Yeah, a bizarre moment there, 1979, when uh, Lynn Swan actually leaps over a car that happened to be parked beyond the the end zone. And uh, Charlie Jones, the, the longtime play-by-play announcer for, for NBC, was on the call there and Dawson alongside him. And, um, yeah, those guys did a great job for NBC as well on the national level. So uh, Len Dawson passes away, sadly, uh, a great voice for uh, the the NFL, great player. As we mentioned, only three broadcasters and players in the Hall of Fame. He uh, is one of them. Uh, we had Vince Scully a couple of weeks ago, and uh, we have another name that we want to make sure uh, gets some recognition here on the announcer schedule podcast. Yeah, another passing of a of a, a great athlete and also a, a tremendous broadcaster, Tom Weiskopf, the the uh, accomplished PGA player for so many years. Uh, he passed away recently as well. Um, his career in broadcasting a little different than a lot of the guys you see in you know cover PGA, where he would only show up for the the biggest of events. Um, he would handle Masters coverage. And also uh, for ABC, the Open Championship over in in uh, Great Britain, but uh, you wouldn't see him week in and week out. So it's sort of like a a, a special um, feature. If you knew Weisskopf was there, it was a, a big time event. And his call of some of these Masters, in particular, 1986, uh, particularly unforgettable and. Um, yeah, Weisskopf did a great job, you know, kind of, again, bringing what was happening on that golf course into the living room of the viewers and uh, just some expert analysis and also had that knack of, you know, talking very, you know, relaxed, but also professionally on the microphone. Yeah, and we have that call to uh, kind of let our listeners in on uh, Tom Weisskopf's and his call uh, with Jim Nance here on, at the Masters. <laughs> Jack Nicholas, knowing he must continue the charge, he has to figure that Ballesteros will make at least birdie back at 15. If anyone has ever owned this hole, it would be Jack Nicholas. When he won his first green jacket back in 1963, he did it with a birdie here at 16. And of course, who can forget 1975? The 40-foot putt. Tom Weiskopf, what is going through Jack's mind right now? He has not experienced this kind of a streak in a long time. If I knew the way he thought, I would have won this tournament. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, No, seriously, he is just going to fire this right at the pin. He's going to think, Jack, this is time right now. 
make the swing that you are capable of making, stay down, accelerate through the ball, make a good golf swing, your destiny is right here. It's right at it. the tee he really has no idea just how close he is well you know with the flag stick right over the bunker Jim a lot of people don't realize the fact that Jack really doesn't see that well he probably has no idea really how close that ball is on the green anybody else could see the ball believe me from that tee Tom that shot was within two inches of going into the cup and just a great job of those two playing off of each other there. But Weisskopf correctly says, hey, best swing right here, right at the pin. And then the shot takes off and lands five feet from the cup. Yeah, it's kind of exactly what you want out, out of an analyst. You know, that that sort of expert opinion whereby his history as a golfer and knowing Nicholas so well, he kind of understood the situation um, you know, in great detail. And then he throws out that little nugget about uh, Nicholas's vision as well, something I had never really uh, heard before. Um, but yeah, that, that's a fascinating clip, not just because of uh, Weisskopf and, and his analysis, but also Jim Nance, age 26, his very first Masters. And obviously we know what he went on to do following that. All right, this is the Announcer Schedule podcast, and uh, don't forget you can rate, review, subscribe. We're part of the Sports Media Watch feed, sportsmediawatch.com. Tell me a story I don't know. Uh, and, of course, the Sports Media Watch show comes out Wednesdays. Tell me a story I don't know comes out on uh, Tuesdays. You can check those out. If you subscribe, you'll get all three. Uh, our show, the Announcer Schedules, comes out on Thursday, so you get bang, bang, bang for your commute to work or your way home, whatever you pick us up, make sure you subscribe. You can get us an Apple podcast, Google podcast, Spotify, wherever you get your podcast, but make it a weekly routine because now that the seasons are here, we're going to have plenty of info, uh, thoughts, and everything on all the different uh, announcers. So let's get into, Phil, the NFL starts their Amazon Prime preseason. We're going to get a chance to see – this new Amazon Prime product, Al Michaels and Kirk Herbstreet, uh, Kaylee Hartung also on the sidelines, but Michaels and Herbstreet together, much anticipated debut for Amazon's preseason. Yeah, this is going to be interesting. You know that we we mentioned on the last show how Amazon Prime's regular season opener and really their you know their big splash will be. Week two of the NFL season, September 15th, Chargers at Chiefs, NBC getting week one, uh, the Thursday night game, Bills-Rams. But Amazon Prime um, is going to cover this preseason game, 49ers at Texans, and it will be our first look at Al Michaels, Kirk Herbstreet, and Kaylee Hartung. Um, moreover, um, it sounds like they're going to really roll out a lot of these bells and whistles in terms of the production um i i'm i read things such as you know there's a, a whole new dvr type system that they have um that's never uh, been seen before exactly how user-friendly that is uh also alternate 
broadcasts. It sounds like they're not going to be shy about those. I'm not sure exactly um, how many there will be or who the personalities will be on those, but it sounds like there will be alternate broadcasts in a really simple way to kind of toggle from broadcast to broadcast. Um, you know, and I don't think they're really considering this anything other than a on-air live dress rehearsal in a lot of ways, you know, where whereby, hey, you know, they might figure out some things and pivot, you know, come uh, their regular season debut in a couple weeks. But it'll be fascinating, no doubt. And, you know, what a kind of change of pace to see Al Michaels, um, you know, on, on a network like Amazon Prime right. for a 49ers-Texans preseason game of all things and see how he his chemistry with Herb Street, which I'm sure will be great, but uh, that, that'll be real interesting to see how that unfolds. And, uh, you know, once uh, the game gets off the ground and, and everything, I'm sure uh, Al Michaels and, and Kirk Herbstreet, as you mentioned, will mesh pretty good. But, you know, I don't know that they've ever worked together before. Herbstreet mainly has done college football. Michaels has mainly done the NFL for a different network. So uh, how many times have they been in a room calling a game together? Uh, we'll see how seamless that is. Real quick on that Amazon Prime They've got to deal with DirecTV, it looks like, for the bars and restaurants so that the bars and restaurants are going to be able to, uh, if you have DirecTV, which most of the bars and restaurants do from the from the Sunday ticket deal, that they'll be able to get those games now at bars and restaurants now on those um, Thursday night games, correct? That's right. And, you know, this was something we had pointed out before as a potential issue for the Amazon Prime games. You know, there, there's the idea of just people who might not be tech savvy having trouble finding the game at their uh, home device. But then there's the other factor, which is, you know, whether bars and restaurants can um, effectively stream the game for their audiences um, at these establishments. And it sounds like um, this deal which makes a lot of sense actually because like you said like most sports bars have direct tv and so if amazon prime's able to 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 uh, set that up through direct tv problem solved yeah and uh, real quick on this uh the amazon prime uh akeep talib is stepping away from this amazon nfl job after this whole story with his brother i was looking forward to akeep talib i enjoyed him on fox i know we had some mixed reviews but I really like what he brought to the table and was looking forward to him on the uh, Amazon Prime NFL. I guess he was going to be a part of the pregame show. Uh, we don't know how they were going to uh, – they got so many voices on this pregame show that we didn't know how they were going to use Aqib Tlaib. But he was a part of that, and he has since recused himself from being a part of that NFL job on Amazon Prime. So you won't get Aqib Tlaib for that. And their regular season opener is week two – that's September 25th, uh, 20, uh, 15th, excuse me, uh, Chargers-Chiefs. So they're getting a good game right off the bat on Thursday night. Oh, big time. That Chargers-Chiefs game is going to um, certainly draw a big audience, no doubt about it, and you know, a quality matchup there. And it, it'll be fun to see how – because it, it, from everything I'm reading, Amazon's really trying to – take this to a whole other level um, in terms of the production. Hey, the Sunday Night Football longtime producer, Fred Bidali, is, is the producer of the show. Yeah. So, I mean, they have spared zero expense, you know, trying to make this thing the best possible production, um, not to mention, the, you know, the talent that they've hired. And I'm sure it's going to be top-notch. I still think probably the number one 
hurdle for them is, you know, sort of like, you know, just the people who are used to sitting down and using a remote control in front of their cable television and this being something completely different for them. But uh, they are guaranteeing um, advertisers. I think they said 12 million. They're, they're saying 12 million. I think they're guaranteeing their advertisers. So that's a healthy number. Yep. Yeah. And uh, obviously that starts in week two. Now don't uh, be looking for week one saying, Hey, what happened to this Amazon prime thing? It's week two. That's because the Thursday night regular season opener is an NBC game. September 8th, Bills and Rams. That's that annual opener, and that's going to be the Tirico-Collingsworth team. That's right. So Tirico and Collingsworth and uh, Melissa Stark, you know, that NBC crew, uh, we did get to see them for that Hall of Fame game um, to start off the preseason. So, that you know, they've had some some reps together, although Tirico and Collingsworth have worked together quite a few times already. Yes. Uh, so, but yeah, you know, they'll have that opener, which obviously there'll be a ton of eyeballs on that one, Bills at Rams, and then uh, they'll be back in action on, on Sunday night as well at, to kind of cap off the weekend, Bucks cowboys And uh, last couple of weeks, you can go back and listen to our previous week, episode 11 and 10. We gave you the Fox teams, the CBS teams, and you're going to get to see them all starting September 11th, uh, Fox number one team, will be Packers-Vikings, CBS number one team will be Chiefs-Cardinals, and that Joe Buck and Aikman will get their first game together. Uh, That will be Broncos-Seahawks on Monday, September 12th. That's a doubleheader, so they're going to get that early game, and then that later game uh, will be the Levy-Orlovsky team. Yeah, that's right, and and in fact, the uh, Buck-Aikman team and that whole – you know, new production staff, because obviously Buck and Aikman have worked together forever, but they did do a rehearsal game themselves. Um, Unlike the Amazon Prime uh, game on Thursday night this week, uh, this rehearsal game was not aired anywhere. You know, it was was literally a, you know, behind-the-scenes event just to make sure probably everything's working right and chemistry's good and all that. But they did do a rehearsal game um, in Seattle, which is it's, which is interesting too, and probably strategic because it's the same location as their their opening game, so yeah. they can uh, work out a lot of things there in terms of the the logistics. By the way, and, real uh, quick, Phil, if I could correct myself, it's week two that there's the doubleheader on ESPN. You got Tennessee Buffalo seven fifteen, Minnesota Philadelphia is the late game at eight thirty on ABC. I would imagine Buck and Aikman get the late game and Levy Orlovsky get the ESPN game, but it's not till week two that you'll see the, the um, it's kind of staggered, I guess, if you will. Yeah, that's right. And, and in fact, the, the Levy Orlovsky uh, Riddick team, um, Laura Rutledge on the, the sidelines, they did some preseason games, including the, the Seahawks game where the rehearsal game was happening at the same time for Buck Aikman. So ESPN uh, gearing up on a lot of levels. Um, you know, certainly a, a deep roster for them as well on the NFL side. That's like when I was in college, uh, you know, you had the Mountaineer Network, the flagship station with Tony Caridi, the play-by-play voice. I got to drop the names in so we can build up that count, right? Uh, we would do the student station. We would tape the game because uh, we weren't allowed to broadcast it. So we kind of did our own rehearsal game, if you will. Uh, we just kind of sat in a empty box and broadcast the game to nobody. But that's the way it works when you're trying to get your work on your craft there. Um, speaking of WVU, college football, we got Fox and CBS Sports Network 
They've now announced their crews. Uh, ESPN did that last week. Yeah, that's right. Um, Fox Sports game announcing crews, you know, not as deep as that, you know, long list we saw with ESPN just because the the inventory on any given Saturday doesn't go as, as deep in terms of how many games they're covering. But, you know, Fox Sports came out with their listing and it's mostly familiar names. Um, you know, the number one team, Gus Johnson on play by play. We talked about Gus not working the NFL this year because of his project with Harvard, but he'll be on those saturday uh you know uh big 10 games with joel clatt as the analyst jenny taft on the on the reporting side that's the number one team number two team is jason benetti brock Heward, and allison williams uh tim brando and spencer tillman that's a veteran crew there uh that they're in that uh third slot and then other play-by-players include noah eagle alex faust eric collins and um mark helfrich uh, Petros Papadakis and Devin Gardner, um, additional analysts as well. So, you know, the, the um, rosters are all set now, it seems like, for all the networks as we head into the start of college football season. And, um, yeah, ready to, to rock and roll here. CBS Sportsnet will be covering a bunch of games as well. Their number one crew uh, Rich Waltz on the play-by-play side there, you know, who's a who's a, a veteran, uh, done a lot of baseball over the years as well, and can one of those guys, in in my opinion, can can handle just about anything. Yeah, and then of course you're going to get the uh, national radio, and if you've listened to uh, the previous weeks of the announcer schedule podcast, we have mentioned all the different networks that you can listen uh, to college football. So if you're a person who's in your car a lot on a Saturday, um, there are. Uh, numerous numbers of national broadcasts that you'll be able to find in your car, Compass, um, Westwood One, ESPN, um, Learfield IMG. You know, you've got a bunch of them. I know Compass, their first game, September 3rd, that's going to be Greg Daniels and Tony Hill, Memphis and Mississippi State on September the 3rd. That's the Compass Media uh, game there. you got Touchdown Radio, um, so you got a plethora of places you can listen to college football on national radio. Yeah, in fact, uh, Westwood One will make their college football debut this weekend. You know, this weekend's slate of games is a limited one known as Week Zero. You know, um, not sure exactly when that, that got started. A few years ago, they someone figured out, hey, this is actually Week Zero um, because more and more teams are starting to play a week before, you know, the traditional start of college football and one of those week zero games, Wyoming at Illinois, uh, that's a 4 p.m. Eastern start on Saturday. Uh, it's on the Big Ten Network with Brandon Gauden on play-by-play. Westwood One's covering that one. Um, Sam Niederman and Derek Rackley have the call there. And, you know, there's a whole slate of games on that, that week zero. Um, a quadruple header on CBS Sports Network, um, play-by-play announcers for the quadruple header chick hernandez chris lewis chris hassel and then the late game gets the number one crew vanderbilt at hawaii you know you for the real you know hardcore college football fans you're still watching with that 10 30 p.m eastern start vanderbilt at hawaii on cbs sportsnet rich waltz aaron taylor and Sherry Burris on the call for that one. There's also a few games on um, ESPN networks. Um, FS1's got a game or two as well. 
Um, Jason Benetti and Brock Heward, we'll see that um, uh, team for the first time for Nebraska Northwestern. Uh, so, yeah, you know, a lot of college football here, it is finally arrived. Yep. And, you know, college football fans, you know, this is like uh, Christmas morning when, when, the, when the season finally starts. Yeah, as you mentioned, it is a more limited schedule uh, for this week zero. Uh, the radio one, as you mentioned, is uh, Wyoming and Illinois. It's a very uh, weak, uh, light schedule. I don't say weak schedule. It's a light schedule uh, to start things off. That's Wyoming, Illinois on Westwood One. The following, you know, Thursday night, uh, it's a big – Penn State-Purdue is uh, the big one on that first Thursday of the season, you got backyard brawl, West Virginia, Pittsburgh. Uh, so that uh, season really kicks off with a couple of interesting games uh, right off the bat there. So uh, we'll have a bunch of uh, information on that on next week's edition of the announcer schedules because those announcers haven't been announced yet on who's going to be doing that. But uh, there you go. All right, MLB. We had the uh, Williamsport game this weekend, uh, which uh, always fun. Next year, the Phillies and Nationals are going to be as part of that uh, Little League Classic, which has become kind of a, uh, a fun thing. Yeah, the, the Sunday night crew was there for that one on ESPN. Carl Ravitch, uh, along with Ed, Eduardo Perez and David Cohn. And, you know, the, the, the Sunday night crew actually um, worked two games that day. They did, they did an actual Little League game <laughs> um, way back, uh, either 11 a.m. or noon Eastern time, and then – ended up working the major league game that night. Uh, there was also something called the kids cast, which was like a, you know, a Manning cast type deal, but with, um, you know, kids in their teenager years who are actually very serious about their, their broadcasting trade. Uh, they've been, you know, attending um, sports broadcasting camps and that kind of thing to prepare for this. And they were on the call. So kind of cool to see that, um, you know, tie in with the Little League World Series. Yeah, and I know I mentioned the Phillies will be there next year. Why don't we uh, quickly uh, get a call in here from uh, with a little Phillies tie, Phil, if you will. Bryce Harper, who's out uh, the last five weeks, went on a rehab assignment. His first game, first at bat back after five weeks was at Lehigh Valley, uh, Lehigh Valley for the Iron Pigs. His first time at the plate, he stepped up, and this happened. Pigs back into the left-handed batter's box, the 2-2. Swinging a fly ball in the air, out to right field. Dickerson turns. He'll just watch this one fly. Bryce Harper in his first at-bat as he begins his rehab back to Philadelphia. Hits a solo home run off the poles in right center field. Welcome to the Lehigh Valley, Bryce Harper. As he gets a standing ovation from this near capacity crowd. All right, uh, if the voice sounds familiar, that's because it was Pat McCarthy, son of Phillies broadcaster, Tom McCarthy on the call. So his younger son, Pat McCarthy, uh, on the call. And I got to tell you, sounded very much like his father uh, calling that home run there. Sounds a lot like his father, but also sounds like a off broadcaster as well, in, in my opinion, uh, you know, really spelling that out there. And um, cool to see that kind of attention on a minor league game as well. Yeah. And uh, by the way, Tom McCarthy, Westwood One Radio, NCAA Tournament. You'll hear him on CBS Football. So 
Tom McCarthy, not only Phillies, a versatile broadcaster himself. That's his son, Pat McCarthy, uh, on the call there in that one. So uh, we'll go to the NBA where we've uh, got a new play-by-player in Minnesota. Yeah, that's right. Michael Grady has been uh, hired as the new play-by-play announcer. That's for his the second week in a row Wolves. on the podcast. Oh, that's right. We mentioned him last week, right, with the with the uh, new CBS NFL on the sideline, role. Yes. Yeah, sideline reporter for CBS, and now um, Grady's um, going to relocate over to, to Minnesota. You know, he's he's been a New York guy uh, working for the Yes Network, um, doing a bunch of work for them, uh, especially on the NBA side of things. But he'll be the new play-by-play voice of the Minnesota Timberwolves. So congratulations to Michael Grady. Uh, in the NBA, another interesting story, Phil, Portland – uh, they were going to do something that a lot of teams uh, around all sports did uh, during COVID, which was remote broadcast, no road games. Going to call it from a studio. The backlash from the fans and the Blazers have reversed that decision, and they're going to send their broadcast teams back on the road, uh, something that we can discuss here because I hate it. I, I, I mean, I love the fact that they reversed it. I hate the thought of calling the game from a studio. Can you do it? Sure. But come on. I mean, these are professional sports. These guys have got to be in the arena, got to be in the field. They got to have the feel of the crowd and see all of the angles. Um, There's no way that an NBA team should be thinking at all about having their teams do the broadcast from a a cold studio, Phil. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm glad the Blazers uh, reversed the decision. I think if you talk to any announcer, they'll tell you they'd rather be there in person. Um, some of this stuff is, you know, frankly, out of the announcer's control. You know, that's for sure. It's it's the um, you know business side that is making these these calls. You know, in this kind of thing, you know, it, it dates back further than what a lot of people believe. You know, it's not just a COVID thing. You know, they things were starting to trend in this direction anyway before COVID. And, you know, the remote production um, really started to be a thing, you know, it, you know, in this past five, six years or so, whereby, you know, you would usually have a production truck for a sports television broadcast at the stadium parked right outside, you know, all the you know, cables wired into that truck and then transmitting, you know, back via satellite. But within that truck would be the producers, the directors, the graphics operators, the scoreboard guys, the audio engineers, all the above. Well, several years ago, you know, some of these networks realized, hey, we don't we can cut costs by not sending all these production trucks to the game. Uh, We'll send a skeleton crew, mainly camera guys and maybe one person sort of oversee the whole thing and make sure technically it's working. But then the producers and the directors and the the graphics operators will all be back at a headquarters, you know, in in the ESPN's case, you know, back in Bristol, or they used um, Disney's wide world of sports um, studio for a lot of this. And so the producer, the director, the, the graphics folks, they would be in the studio um, talking to the announcers remotely, and even that had its its hiccups from time to time and wasn't ideal. And I think you know everyone wants to be on site. You certainly 
you know, as far as being able to just troubleshoot and, you know, not having any lags in communication and that kind of thing, it, it's a better deal. But I worked a bunch of shows where I was with the announcers in the booth, um, but it, we were kind of the only folks there <laughs> from the network other than the camera guys and, you know, and, uh, a, a couple of audio folks where we would get on the headset. We wouldn't even know where we were talking back to um, until we started talking to them. And then, uh, you know, they would they would chime in that, hey, yep, we're back here in Orlando handling production with you guys today kind of thing. It certainly has gotten a lot better as they figured out all the um, intricacies of it. And then COVID came and sort of forced everybody's hand, you know, to, to really figure out this remote stuff. And it took it to the point of, you know, not just remote production, but obviously the announcers being remote as well, whether they're in a studio um, or at home even. And, you know, now it seems like some of these efficiencies have been realized by the business folks and where they can cut costs and still have, I guess, a good enough product that, you know, most viewers or listeners might not know the difference, um, that they, they're willing to, you know, go that direction. So, you know, it'll be interesting to see as we move forward and if there's continued to be, you know, sort of this backlash from the fans and that kind of thing. But you know, the, the other side of the coin would tell you, Hey, how many fans don't know that it's being remotely announced or broadcast? You know, Probably if you just tuned in, you know, can, can, are, are, are the casual fans, they don't even know the difference in a lot of cases. And if that's the case, you know, that they'll, they'll look to save the money. So I certainly side with the announcers who want to be there. Um, you know, like having the feel of the game, being able to see things with your periphery vision, um, being able to talk face to face with, you know, uh, players and coaches, you know, leading up to the game, all these things, um, not to mention just feeling the, the ebbs and the flows of the, the crowd and the, and the excitement of, of what's going on. Um, it's it's vital to a to a to an announcer. Yeah. So um, I'm glad the Blazers reversed their their call here. Um but it, it's something to continue to keep an eye on as it, as we move forward uh, post-pandemic. Yeah, and I would just add this. I mean, I have talked to some play-by-players, and, you know, they don't like having to travel for all 82 or 162 or whatever. You know, not obviously 82, but 41 if you're an NBA or, or a hockey. And I can understand if they said, listen, I just don't want to make this road trip can we do it from the studio in that instance? At least you have that option. So totally understand that part of it. Because I do know some play-by-players who just don't like the constant travel. Um, but if they want to be on the road, I certainly, you know, we've had too many times where a broadcaster has made himself look bad simply because he was not there, you know. And getting that opportunity to talk to players and coaches and getting more of that inside, I don't say inside, but a better feel, better stories. We've done the Vince Scully um, stuff the last couple of weeks. We're going to have another bite coming up on today's show. He doesn't get that if he's remote. He's not Vince Scully if he's remote, right? Yeah, so they, I mean, you know, they do what what you would call um, production meetings and in uh, meetings with the the teams and the coaches and that kind of thing via Zoom, you know, versus um, in person. 
Um, I, I guess you can gather some of this stuff there, but it's nothing like being in person and being able to, to interact with people and build relationships and, and all these things, get some, some inside information that you can maybe uh, drop in, you know, once the game gets started. Um, it, it, it's countless how much you can gain by being there in person. Um, no doubt about that. Just one other note, as far as like on the, the NBA and MLB side and, um, when it comes to these regional networks, which is kind of like what we're talking about with the Blazers here, um, what a lot of the teams did, what most of them did, I believe, is if you were doing it remotely, it wouldn't necessarily be from a studio. They would actually be in the home arena yeah. and kind of in their broadcast location or in their, their booth, if it's at a, at a baseball stadium. And so that way they at least have like, you know, sort of like the familiar surroundings, but they're watching the game on the road on monitors. Yes. Um, so just location wise, just so, so people know how that has kind for, of worked. And for people out there, Phil, I know you've been in studios spotting. I've done play by play. Off the monitor, not an easy task, especially for baseball. Um, baseball's tough because of the angle sometimes. Football, I've done football off of a monitor. Not easy seeing the numbers, who's making the tackle, what the wide receiver's number is, if he's going, who's got the carry. You know, it's not not ideal, let's just say that. All right. Um, we hope to have this segment more on our show here, the Announcer Schedule Podcast, rate, review, subscribe, and send questions. If you have questions that you would like Phil and us to hit on uh, on our podcast each week, feel free at Announcer Skeds. And uh, here we go. Uh, for a normal game, say NFL, for instance, for the TV announcers, there is one play-by-play announcer to the analyst. Does each have their own stats guy? Who's in charge, the play-by-play announcer, or is there a producer with them all, so we can both kind of tackle this because we've handled uh, multiple roles in this question. Yeah, so um, as folks know, you know, I've, I've done a lot of work as a as a statistician for for TV broadcasts, and you know, the the way it typically works for for an NFL game or you know, major college football game, there would be the play by play announcer and the analyst in the booth. Um, they're typically for for most shows. There would be one statistician, a talent statistician, right there alongside the play-by-play announcer, and then also a talent spotter um, right there, you know, with the play-by-play announcer as well. The spotter's role is to point to the um, the board that the the play-by-play announcer uses with all the names and numbers to help them with literally spotting who has the carry, who makes the tackle, all those things. Now, some of the bigger shows, you know, the number one teams, you know, uh, folks like um, Buck and Aikman and, and uh, Nance and Romo, they often have um, two statisticians or two spotters um, up in the booth, one for each announcer. So, uh, it's, you know, when you're when you're talking about shows like the, the Super Bowl and these number one NFL shows, you know, these bigger budget shows and that kind of thing, the analyst um, often has a spotter of his own feeding him information as well. And, um, you know, that just adds to the broadcast that much more as far as who's in charge. It, it's kind of interesting in, in, in that realm. It's one of the few jobs in sports 
television where the announcer actually gets to choose who he works with. So the announcers, um, you know, the chemistry of working with a statistician or a spotter is is so critical yeah. that the announcer, you know, usually has um, his kind of go-to guy and he'll say, hey, um, this is who I'd like to use for, for this show or this season. And um, therefore, you know, you're, you're kind of working you know, directly for the announcer in a lot of ways. Um, the producer wouldn't be up there in the booth with them uh, to answer the question, rather in the production truck or, like we said, in the, the remote production facility, wherever that might be, if that's the case. Um, but hopefully that ha- helps answer that question. I appreciate them uh, um, asking that. Yeah. Um, uh, I don't The uh, next part of it was for a radio broadcast. Is it just a play-by-play announcer, or is there an analyst, too? Did they have a stats guy? And that really depends on the outlet, right? I mean, I know locally for the Sixers, Tom McGinnis does the game by himself. He has no analyst, and he is basically his own uh, driver. He has a producer um, who does not generally sit with him, but uh, I'm imagining an ESPN radio broadcast, you would have the play-by-player, the analyst. They probably have a on-site producer sitting there, maybe a stats person, but a lot of arenas have. I know when I was doing play-by-play for West Virginia women, uh, they had the stats computer updating in real time right in front of me there. So um, didn't really have to have a stats person. Yeah, I mean, it depends on the scope of the broadcast, also the sport. And, um, you know, I've done work for for Westwood One, for ESPN Radio. Um, at, they've hired me as a statistician, but – um, only for football. Uh, so, you know, for baseball, for instance, say, you know, ESPN radio is doing a game. I don't, I don't know if they would have a statistician up in the booth with those guys necessarily, probably not. Um, but, but yeah, you know, um, radio broadcasts in a lot of ways run the same way, you know, um, like you said, some of these, um, solo play-by-play announcers, uh, oftentimes they rely on the statistician that much more. Um, just because they, they can really use the extra set of eyes and, and, and feeding the information. I, I worked for a number of years for a guy, Mike Inglis, who was the Miami Heat's um, radio play-by-play announcer. And eventually they, they made it a, a two-person booth where they gave him a partner. But for years, he did it solo. And um, I was his statistician. And you know the one thing that was interesting with Mike was, most times the statisticians, um, you know, use visuals. In other words, you're writing little notes on post-it notes and, and uh, holding it up and the, the announcer will read it. Mike actually, when he was working by himself, wanted um, the statistician in his headset. And you would put, push a button hmm. and you would give the stat in his ear. You know, hey, Miami Heat on a 10-2 run in the last two and a half minutes. He would hear it and then and then say it on air. So you know, different guys like to, to operate differently, and um, you know, certainly, you know, the the statistician's role, you know, can, can be vital to a to a game. But I would say the number one thing is that chemistry, because if the the announcer doesn't trust the statistician, um, and the statistician doesn't know what the announcer wants and needs and and the timing of it all, it, you could create more problems than actually. You know, uh, benefiting the broadcast. And, and, you know, I've done uh, MMA for UFC Fight Pass, which is, uh, I think that depends on who the person is. I mean, my 
partner is CM Punk, and he is the kind of guy who likes to just go. He doesn't want someone in his ear producing him, telling him. In fact, uh, he will use the talk back and tell them what he wants for replays instead of a lot of times the producer will say, hey, here comes that replay. When I work with CM Punk, he will tell them what replay he wants and when he wants it. So it really depends on how comfortable the analyst is. And I know um, one of the questions here is, are play-by-play announcers and analysts mostly interchangeable? I would say not necessarily. Very few could do both. I mean, but generally um, the analyst would be someone who is a little bit more knowledgeable about the intricacies of a game or a play uh, where the play-by-player would be more of a describer of the action and then asking questions for the analyst to kind of break down for you. So are they interchangeable? Eh, They could be. Um, Trying to think of an example of someone who has maybe done both roles, but uh, generally the play-by-player is a non-professional athlete. Um, and the analyst would be someone who generally played the game. It was a weird situation in Philly growing up here because the Phillies had Harry Callis do the play-by-play, and Chris Wheeler was the analyst. Wheeler did not play. He was just a member of the organization uh, who kind of worked his way up to the broadcast team. So that's an instance where a former player was not the broadcaster, but he also did play-by-play at times when Harry went to radio. So there's an example of an analyst doing both, but it's generally not done that way. Yeah, but pretty rare for sure. The one example that comes to mind for me is Frank Gifford. Um, Gifford yes. uh, worked both play-by-play and analyst for Monday Night Football, you know, for for years. And you know, depending on what the other personnel was in any given uh, booth, um, that would kind of dictate that. You know, he. You know, I think at one point it was Al Michaels on play-by-play and Gifford in the color role. And, you know, then, you know, Gifford was play-by-play and and joined by uh, Deerdorf. And, you know, like, so there was different, you know, sort of configurations. But Gifford was a guy who could switch back and forth to both. Um, Also, I think Howard Cosell did some color. Uh, you know, so, you know, you usually think of him as a play-by-play announcer. But on, on, on some of the broadcasts, he was a color commentator so you know you you don't see it often i'm trying to think of a a more modern example and nothing immediately comes to mind but you know usually they're two very different defined roles in a in a different skill set yeah if anybody listening out there has someone who's done both let us know at announcers skits a couple other quick questions we can hit on uh do the announcers tv and radio work in the same area um yes it depends on the arena for basketball some sit down on the court. Others will sit. I know the Sixers have their guys kind of on the um, middle concourse level. Some arenas have you right down on the floor. You might see in some instances, like if you're watching a Laker game, you might see the broadcasters in like the second row sitting there right around half court. Um, So it varies from stadium to stadium. They do um, hang out together beforehand. You'll see them having uh, dinner, usually in a room back in the media the media dinner area you'll you'll see the broadcasters sitting down with the producers about how they're going to go about the broadcast and and the broadcast locations have evolved over time and not for the betterment of the no 
broadcast. In in fact, the other direction. So what's happened is, you know, you know, you mentioned NBA um, radio. You know, I remember when I got started with the the Miami Heat, that you know the radio crews were all right down there courtside, um, right where the TV crews are, also, or even on you know the side of the the benches, depending on you know who all was at the game and and that kind of thing. And what happened was, again, the the business side of the house, you know, realized that they could sell those seats on press row, um, you know, to to for very uh, high premiums. And so they relocated the, the radio announcers. And this happened in, I think, most arenas around the country. You know, they, they, at least the visiting announcers got relocated, oftentimes both home and visitors, to a higher uh, location, you know, you know, oftentimes the top of the the lower deck kind of thing, you know, a location there, and it makes a difference. Kind of like what we were talking about with the the remote broadcast. If you're not in the middle of things down there courtside and being able to to see and feel things from that up close vantage point, not to mention just you know spotting what's going on down there, um, it does in fact make a difference. And I've seen the same thing happen at uh, NFL stadiums where what was once the network television booth or the main press box right on the 50 yard line has been moved, you know, either shifted, you know, um, 10, 20, 30 yards, you know, one way or the other, or in some cases, press boxes even in the end zone. Yeah, from what I which understand, make it very tough. What I understand, FedEx Field, dreadful to call a game. I also hear Washington uh, Nationals Park is a tough place to call you are very very high uh you're not in that middle kind of uh, normal spot uh that is what uh, some of the things that stand out from what i've heard um real quick what's the role of the stadium announcer i'm imagining you're talking about the pa guy um completely different working area does a stadium announcer have a stats guy probably not um and they have nothing to do with the broadcast they're kind of doing their own thing in most instances uh and it could be a career path in fact Dan Baker, who's the PA guy for the Phillies, was once the PA guy for the Sixers as well. He does play-by-play, I think, for, uh, I want to say Drexel or Temple or LaSalle, one of the big five basketball teams. He's the play-by-play guy. So a lot of those guys might do play-by-play for a college in the area or uh, something to that extent. Yeah, we haven't talked much about stadium announcers or or public address announcers, PA announcers, um, but certainly that's a craft um, in and of itself, and certainly a, a major part of any a given sporting event. Now, in terms of whether they have a stats guy, no. Um, however, um, for NFL at least, I think most of them have a spotter. So the spotter is actually helping them um, NFL, on, the, yes. on, on the fly compute, you know, hey, gain a six by Smith, you know, because – um, you know, they're able to to give that information right away. So they have a spotter there, you know, helping with who made the tackle and that kind of thing. So, you know, they do have some help on the NFL side, at least. Um, you know, one point that's worth bringing up, you know, I've seen a lot of people within the industry complain that for big events, the network television seems to For say that again, we lost you for a second. Okay, um, 
hearing that for big events, you know, the Super Bowl, March Madness, those kind of things, the event is using the television announcer as the play-by-play or as the PA announcer, yes. rather. Joe Davis just got stuck doing this. He didn't sound like he was thrilled. Yeah, Joe Davis did it for the the All-Star game, right? And, you know, you hear, you know, Nance do it, you know, to call out the lineups for the NCAA NCAA championship game. I would not be a fan of that. See, and it's funny because people ask, you know, oh, you know, I don't mind doing play-by-play. I do not like being a PA announcer. Yeah, and so it it puts the play-by-play announcer in a tough spot, you know, something out of his element and maybe, you know, um, setting him up to fail, you know, because there's a lot of – technical things that have to run just right for that but it's also taking away an opportunity for the public address announcer you know who has you know worked countless games is a master at his craft if he's at this level you know working the working a a super bowl or, a, or an ncaa championship game or an mlb all-star game you know yeah. what's the harm in, in letting him get a, a couple minutes in the sun all right um a lot of good questions there. If you ever have questions every week, uh, we will hit on questions if they come in at announcer sketch as we continue to grow here on the sportsmediawatch.com feed, uh, home of uh, TJ Reeves and John Lewis. Their podcast uh, this week touches on the Big Ten TV deal, big money, college football, the Amazon NFL debut, the NBA schedule. So you can listen to their podcast and then tell me a story I don't know. George Offman, um, Northwestern football coach Pat Fitzgerald is this week's guest. A very engaging conversation uh, with Pat Fitzgerald, and you can go check those out. Our uh, conversation with Roxy Bernstein, if you missed that conversation last week with the play-by-player from all over the place, check that out on the Sports Media Watch uh, podcast feed, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, rate, review, subscribe. Before we get out, a couple guys are getting out. Uh, Jim Cott has decided uh, this is it for him and um, the voice of Cal. We had Roxy Bernstein on, a voice of Cal. The voice of Cal, though, is uh, Joe Starkey, and uh, he is also retiring. Yeah, Jim Cott, um, you know, obviously a, a Hall of Famer on the field as well. He is retiring, and he has retired. He, he, he called his last game uh, Blue Jays-Yankees the other night on the MLB Network. Uh, he broadcast uh, for almost 40 years um, baseball in one form or the other, uh, was part of the MLB Network uh, from day one in 2009. And, you know, it, it was kind of a sudden um, announcement. You know, he made the announcement earlier in the day on a studio show at the MLB Network, and then that night uh, was his last game. Um, Costas was supposed to be his play-by-play announcer for that game, but uh, I believe a COVID situation kept him from uh, working that game, and he actually had uh, called in remotely from his home um, to congratulate uh, Jim Cott. But I know a lot of people have enjoyed Cott's work over the years and another familiar voice uh, retiring. Uh, yes, and uh, another uh, familiar voice, as we mentioned, Joe Starkey, uh, is very, very famous for a particular play, Phil, that we'll uh, let everybody uh, listen into right here. All right, here we go with the kickoff. Armin will probably try to squib it, and he does. Ball comes loose, and the Bears have to get out of bounds. Rodgers along the sideline, another one. 
trouble at midfield. They tried to do a couple of... The ball is still loose as they get it to Rogers. They give it back now to the 30. They're down to the 20. All the band is out on the field. He's going to go into the end zone. He's going into the end zone. Will it count? The Bears have scored, but the bands are out on the field. There were flags all over the place. Everybody's milling around on the Sensational, dramatic, heartrending, exciting, thrilling finish in the history of college football. California has won the big game over Stanford. Oh, excuse me for my voice, but I have never, never seen anything like it in the history of I've ever seen any game in my life. The Bears have won it. There will be no extra. All right, so that's not a play. That's the play joe starkey his 48th season uh and final season will be this year could you imagine something like that happening in today's game with replays and all that stuff yeah no doubt but uh what a moment in sports history and uh joe starkey uh providing the the visuals there via the the radio medium and uh hey we had roxy bernstein on the show you mentioned that you know he's a cal berkeley um, alum and, and certainly I'm sure got to know Starkey over the years, but, you know, Starkey, just a legendary uh, figure up there in the Bay area. This will be his last season happens to be the 40th anniversary of the play. So they'll be doing a big celebration this year in Berkeley uh, to celebrate that. And uh, Starkey also spent time um, announcing games for the uh, Niners as well as the San Jose Sharks. And, um, you know, another tip of the hat for just a tremendous career, Joe Starkey. All right. Uh, one more. We'll, uh, we've been hitting on Vince Scully the last couple of weeks here, and uh, we continue to find great moments in Scully's career that have to do with both calling games and doing what he did best, just simply tell stories. Sure, Andy, I'd be happy to. Well, let's see. We've got a dozen eggs, a quart of milk, a loaf of bread, a can of frozen orange juice, six small white onions, a green pepper, garlic powder, a package of American cheese, pickles, kosher, that is, bananas, cornflakes, maple syrup, toothpaste, paper towels, toilet paper, six bars of soap, hot dogs, quarter pound of chopped meat, steak, lamb chops, package of spaghetti, three apples, bologna, cottage cheese, a pound of butter, two ears of corn, beer, ketchup, peanut butter, soy sauce, and a half a pound of coffee. There you go. Uh, I don't know how he got a hold of your grocery list there, Phil, but he did a good job of reading it off. Yeah, there, there's a backstory to all that. And, uh, I mean, first of all, just, you know, being able to listen to Scully, you know, uh, recite anything is is, is so pleasurable. But, yeah, that this uh, went down in San Diego, and there was a, I guess, kind of like a runner for for Scully. Um, got to know him for a little bit, and this person was also a, a radio personality. And there was the opportunity um, for him to prove to his listeners that you could listen to Scully recite anything, and it would be. Uh, compelling and, and, and easy on the ears. And so he tracked down uh, Scully uh, the next chance he could and uh, up in the press box, asked him to recite that. He handed him the grocery list and asked him to to read it off. 
and uh, Scully obliged and uh, it ended up kind of going viral and that kind of thing in, in, in recent years um, as it was uncovered, but kind of a cool story there. And, you know, just a, a nice way to finish up the, the show, listening to Vin Scully one last time. Yeah, a nice way to finish up this week's uh, announcer schedule podcast, episode 12 in the books. That'll do it for us. And, of course, uh, we're on the Sports Media Watch feed. Rate, review, subscribe. And if you like what you hear, uh, let us you know with a little message. And uh, if you have questions, at Announcer Skids. We'll do the best we can to answer every question each week that we get. And, of course, uh, we're always talking announcers here, and we'll have great interviews, play-by-players, analysts, sideliners uh, throughout the fall here on the Announcer Schedule podcast. So uh, I guess that'll be it for us for week number 12. We fit a whole bunch in this week, Phil. Uh, college football starts next week. Uh, the NBA will be here before we know it. Baseball, down the stretch they come. Uh, that's my best Larry Colmus. If you missed our conversation with him, you can go back on the Sports Media Watch feed and check it out. But uh, anything else we want to add before we get out of here? No, I think we, we covered a lot of ground. Just, you know, one more time, our, our thoughts are with, um, you know, all the fans and, and loved ones and families of uh, both Lynn Dawson and, and Tom Weiskopf, uh, two legends, you know, who passed away the, this past week. And, uh, yeah, can't wait to, to get all this football started beginning this weekend. Um, and uh, it'll be real interesting to see, you know, the, the announcing uh, layout of it all as well. All right, for Phil, I'm Mike. This has been episode 12 of the Announcer Schedule Podcast. Have a great rest of your week, everybody. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of plan investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com.